This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I've got a killer conversation to share with you featuring a Melbourne-based musician called Christos Athanasius. He's in the group The Ugly Kings. He's the guitarist. It's out right now, the new album from the group. It's called Strange, Strange Times because that's exactly what they are, very weird times, and we talk all about that, plus his overall philosophy toward playing the guitar and indeed recording music. This is one of those conversations that is the reason I do this because Christos and I, we go there on so many subjects, too many for me to mention in the introduction here, so let's get to it. Here he is, Christos Athanasius from the Melbourne Group, The Ugly Kings. I've spoken to a bunch of musicians from Melbourne over the past year and a half or however long we've been in these bloody lockdowns. And uh, yeah. I, I've got to say, I can, I'm getting the vibe that people are absolutely fed up with. Oh, um, like this, yeah. this latest one now, as in like from last two weeks or whatever it's been, I'm losing, losing track of time. But this, um, this latest one uh, has hit me probably the hardest because it's just like we, we knew – we had an issue. Um, we knew that we were going to this like quick fix kind of thing, yeah. and then and then and then we haven't gotten there. And now it's kind of like, oh, here's another week, and here's another week. And by the end of this latest announcement from today, it's probably going to be end up like six weeks with a week break. So it's kind of like where we were last year. We didn't, have, of course, we don't have the high cases we had last year, thankfully. But um, from a restriction perspective, it's the same. And, and, and then having that, um, I mean, we had shows planned to start from last week. Yeah. Right. right. And, 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 and having to release an album now, um, in the midst of lockdown and not have any shows that we can, well, we have shows booked, but we're like, well, now, now we've got to reschedule stuff from next week onwards as well. Right. So, um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll put October <laughs> at the present point in time as a starting time frame, and then uh, and then see how we go. I think it's it's not good enough from our elected officials, our combined elected elected officials, mate. The way they've managed this, and I sincerely hope that they are just on this issue alone because it's such a big one that they are just absolutely punished at the next poll. Like the three uh, yeah. the three <laughs> state governments on the eastern seaboard have just fucked it up so badly. And yeah. I'm on the Gold Coast, mate, and people are hurting economically because they run small businesses and people can't go to restaurants and stuff. And, it, you know, you can't go to restaurants just means you can't go to the bar afterwards, which means that you can't sort of reward the kids the next day with a day trip to, you know, Cold Rock or whatever it might be. You know, the usual family Absolutely. fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's none of that stuff has been built into an economic recovery plan. It's just, oh, well, yeah. we don't want any deaths. It's like, no, we don't want any deaths, but let's look into this a bit deeper. The comorbidity factor is at something like 95%. Nobody yeah. dies from COVID alone. You've got something yeah. else. We know that mm. nobody's telling, and excuse me for saying this, but nobody's telling morbidly obese people that maybe you need to stay inside. Maybe you're the ones, you know, and I'm not just picking on them. I mean, I've got, I've got a chronic health issue with, um, colitis, which is similar to Crohn's disease. So I, I've effectively got a comorbidity myself. So I'm including myself into that bracket. But if I had to stay inside per doctor's orders, per public health policy, okay, so also the economy, the mums and dads out there, the small businesses, the bands, I've talked about this so much, could get back to doing what they're, what they're you're supposed to do. Mm. Fair enough. It's, with it's hard. Yeah, it's it's really hard. And it's, it's really hard on a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. We'll uh, honestly, we'll we'll have to we'll have to play by ear and uh, and see how we go. Um, mm. And and hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get our uh, vaccination numbers up as well, and uh, in that way, have some yeah. level of protection. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, well, Poland's helped out on that front, so hopefully that's not just Sydney; <laughs> it's the Eastern Seaboard. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. But look, let, let's get it stuck into the music because I, I truly enjoy what you guys are doing. I'm not just saying that. You know, Chris Chris contacted Thank me you. and said, um, look, have you heard these guys? And I said, yeah, because I make sure I listen to everything Chris and a few other people who I like, you know, that they send through. And I, I truly enjoy what you guys are doing. I didn't have to work hard at it. Sometimes that happens, to be honest with you, but I, I didn't. I'm a rock and roll and a metal fan. 
So he sent me across the three lead singles, which are Strange, Strange Times, which is the title track to the album, yep. Techno, Technodrome and The Devil Comes With A Smile. Now, look, given the sounds that you're mining across those three cuts, I'm not saying they're similar, but there's a narrative there. There's a sound narrative there that sort of links them all together, that it must be indicative of what the entire album sounds like. So because people might not have heard you before, can I mean, I can do the descript, describers, descript, descriptors, sorry, use proper English, but it's always better if I ask someone who's actually written the songs to do it. So can you describe for people listening the gnarly rock sound you've created? Thank you. Thank you for those words. Um, <laughs> so, so I'll start maybe with um, three names as influences from my guitaring perspective um, that I have had from a very young age. Um, and of course, leading on to uh, my 20s. So uh, Tony Iommi to begin with, Black Sabbath, mm. Jack White, and Tom Morello. So from my guitar pushing the boundaries perspective of guitar playing, those three, I think, were instrumental in my thinking about what I could do with a guitar. I'm not saying that I'm anywhere near the level of those three players um, and what they did for the music industry, but those three were my personal key influences from a guitar sound perspective. And then, and then coupled in that, and more so in recent years, I would say, it's, uh, it's the Queens of the Stone Age type of songwriting. Yeah. So, so from a sound perspective, you've got this kind of like Sabbath elements, this garage rock elements of Jack White, as well as then you've got this kind of like weird effect in certain areas, sounds of Tom Morello, and then, and then blend that all together with a baritone voice from our singer who's kind of like a Jim Morrison's kind of vibe. Yeah. Or some people would say Danzig as well. I mean, he, he prefers Jim Morrison to Danzig personally. Um, but coupling those things together, that is our sound. Sort of this like hard rock, garage rock, blues influence. And then when our bassist, before our bassist actually joined the band and he saw us live play at the, at the Bendy here in Melbourne for the first time, he straight up said, this is what I would call power blues. Yeah. And, and that is what we have gone for from a genre description since that time that he actually joined the band. But then mm -hmm. you've got all these other subgenres that sort of like fit into that realm because we're not a classically blues band. We have the influences, but we also have got that power element to it, that sort of heaviness to it. I also heard Blue Cheer, Vince Bassaruptus. I right. heard that. And they're, one of, they're probably the first ever heavy metal band. They predate Sabbath by, Sabbath by about three years. So mm. if you get to check them out, I think their album came out in like 65 or 66. Right, um, okay. The template's there. You'll hear it. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah. It's like, you know, the band Fu Manchu, obviously. They, yes, they, yes. They, the Fu Manchu sound like them. So when you hear them, you'd be like, oh, shit, I've heard this before. It just got reinvented in the mid-90s or thereabouts by Fu Manchu and even Melvins and some of those other bands. But I, I can hear it in your music, but it's the power blues thing, that all comes from Cream, Eric Clapton. I think yeah. And, yeah and and you've got that going on and I love that I think that's I'm a died in the wolf fan of what you guys are doing and what you because it's to me this is rock music for every occasion mm. this is because it's it's not that it's it, I'm not saying that you, you couldn't have people with this because you probably wouldn't. that's a gnarly to be able to do because music should always be the thing that tells people to you know go ram it up your ass and you could easily do that with your music but there's something else about it that says, you know, I'm four or five beers into my evening. We're about to hit the vodka. You know what? <laughs> I'm going to put on strange, strange times. That's amazing. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. You know, that's really yeah, cool. It's, it's good, man. It's 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 the sort of thing that I wish I heard a lot more often. I've got to say, I came into my inbox, and I, you know, there's uh, in addition to the Queens of the Stone Age vibe, I probably add, yeah, you've definitely got for obvious reasons the them crooked vultures thing happening as well. Yes, in just yes. The, the crunch because it's a bit yes. crunchier than than Quatza. Yes, you're right, and 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 actually, uh, I, I love that album, Them Crooked Vultures. The other album that I think personally is like, it's a masterpiece of, of um, songwriting 
mm-hmm. is that is the the one he did with uh, just Herman did with Iggy Pop, the post pop depression. Yeah, I love that album, and I love that album a lot because of that real deep Iggy Pop voice now blended with kind of like a Queens of the Stone Age bed. Whereas you've got just Herman traditionally, he's not that much of a baritone. I mean, he's mm-hmm. got pretty deep voice, but he's more towards the high end. But then you've got this kind of like Iggy Pop coming in with a full on sort of like deep baritone style and complements what Josh Homie can do from a songwriting perspective, I believe really, really well. Mm. So um, yeah, those, those three projects, like you've got Queens of the Stone Age, you've got Ben Kruger Vultures and the uh, Iggy Pop album, um, were definitely influences from a songwriting structural perspective and melodic mm. Standpoint, but then yeah, from a, from an overall um, guitar sound for this one for this album, we went with um, more of that um, punchy mid-tone kind of heaviness to it. Yeah. Whereas previously, I kind of like I like a lot of reverb in my guitars, and and, and I do that yeah, live cool. anyway. But um, it's the previous album had a lot more reverb going on, both from a guitar perspective and a vocal perspective. Whereas mm-hmm. this one, we sort of went for a bit more of a punch. Let's talk. I'm a muso too, as I think I stated up top. So let's talk about the guitar sound because that to me sounds like a guitar sound that you've labored over for thousands of hours to achieve. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you were 12 yeah. and 13, you had an idea, and it's just, I know I, I literally, I'm 30 years, almost 30 years into playing, actually, I am in 30 years into playing the bass. And only in the yeah. last 12 months have I think that I achieved the bass sound that I like. You know? Right. There you so, go. So for you, was it a case of trying? different effects with different guitars and different amps. So can you talk me through how you achieve that excellent sound that you've got? Thank you again for the compliment. So um, it was actually, so, so when I first, let's put it this way. I first started playing electric guitar when I was growing up in Greece and I didn't really get any, or oh, I got maybe like three or four lessons, right? So then we left Greece, family situation at the time. We came to Australia. And, and I didn't get any guitar lessons. So I just played at home with a little practice amp and a, and a Fender Strat at the time, a Squire Strat. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, I mean, I liked obviously always my the distorted sound. Um, but then, you know, of a, of a university, and I, and I went there for a long time, for over six years overall, um, <laughs> I completely stopped playing the guitar, right? I don't know what happened. Certain things happened. Um, personal situations, uh, I stopped playing the guitar. So then I started picking it up again after I started working, as we mentioned earlier, after I started working at Ericsson. And it was just an acoustic thing. When we started The Ugly Kings, it was actually an acoustic project. And we had another guitarist, right? So we, we didn't really have any full-on heavy ambition or anything along those lines. But um, eventually, Russell, the singer, he, uh, he plays drums as well. So he sat behind the drum kit and we were doing a very kind of like um, white stripes kind of sound and we had two guitarists. He was playing a standard kind of beat, let's say, um, so that he could sing at the same time. Um, And then I was using like, you know, I bought my first big amp as in like this amp that I can jam and gig with, which was a a Fender Hot Rod DeVille 4x10, right? I love that amp, but it was way too loud. 14, Honestly, yeah, it was way too loud. I mean, I could, I, for gigs, I, I could not go above two. <laughs> like, sound guy was like, oh, turn it down. Um, and I still get that. Sound guy says, turn it down, always. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but then what happened, then, you know, the other guitarist left the band. So for a period of time, when, when we actually brought in a drummer, so he left the band and for a period of time, I was just the only instrument beyond the drums. Right. So mm-hmm. we didn't have a bassist. So then I thought, right, I'm going to do this thing. And I had seen actually, I had watched a rig rundown of um, the Black Keys. Right. Yeah. And he uses like three, I think, amps yeah. stacked together. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to try this like multi amp setup to have a bigger sound because now I'm the only member in the band. Right. That can produce a guitar sound. So then I, um, I went down to the three amp split and then eventually I went down to the two amp split, but it was, it was from that moment that I decided to use more than one amp in my setup that a completely new set of possibilities opened up. Right. 
So I've always loved the kind of octave sound and also that kind of synth sound from a guitar, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, so then what I did, instead of uh, one of the key decisions that I made back then, instead of putting uh, the splitter so I can get two different sounds out of two different amps and have the same effects go through them, instead of putting the splitter at the end of the chain, put the splitter at the start of the chain. Mm-hmm. So my guitar goes into the splitter, then I have two completely different effects going to the two different amps. Mm. And so then I stack pretty much octave upon octave. So there's certain sections and songs where I would have like three fast pedals on and like three octave pedals running at the same time. So, um, and the way, and the way that from that point then crafted the sound is that I would sort of pick up a pedal and I would see what I would do with it. Then I would go and research a few other pedals and then, and then I would sort of like build it up over time to the point now that I think, well, you know, it's, ne- it's, <laughs> there's never an ending story to, uh, to the amount of oh, gear yeah. you can collect. <laughs> I keep collecting gear and keep on trying things. The most recent one that I bought is, um, is at third man records. And, uh, um, what was the, uh, uh game changer audio, the plasma coil. Well, okay. So it's, um, it's a high voltage pedal, but then it, partnering with um, third man records and Jack white, they sort of like had some kind of like octave presets as part of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and there are certain pedals like the, I've got a, an angry fuzz pedal. It's called that is no longer being made by visual labs. And, and I use that to stack it with um, uh, overdrive pedals. And it produces this like real, high octave crunchy sound that I can't get out of any other pedal, just a combination of, uh, of pedals. So, and I use that a lot in certain choruses and so on, for example. So it's, it's been an organic process, but the, the, the biggest turning point in decision-making was first my love for octaves and synth based guitar sound and two to use multi-amps and split my signal different ways and different effects going through each one and, and sort of working it out as I go of what could be uh, what could be really cool to do. Look, I'm not encouraging you to give away any trade secrets, but I'd love to see you do a re-rundown on YouTube. Oh, dude, I've been thinking about it. Honestly, yeah, I, I want to do it. Yeah, yeah, I want to do it. Because the, the thing is, though, and this is, I've, I've, got, I've had people come on the show and they're like, no, man, I'm not going to fucking do that. It's like, look, Look, countless times of people, like I think it was, was it Van Halen, Tony Iommi's definitely said it. Um, Billy Sheehan, the bassist, has definitely said it. Steve Harris has said it. It's like, yeah, we used to do this thing where fans could come up and they could play the actual bass is going to play on the night or the guitar is going to play mm. on the night. Mm. And you give it to them and they go, this isn't it, man, it's not it. And, of course, they'd give it to Billy Sheehan or Van Halen or yeah. or Steve Harris and he'd do his thing and he'd go, oh, that's yeah. the sound there. It's these things. Yeah, yeah, it's your yeah, hands. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. so you can never mimic something. There's that. This is an adjacent point, but there's that classic story in Al Jorgensen from Ministry's book about what he did for Fred Durst. Have you read that book? No. Just quickly, and anybody who wants to read the book, tune out for the next thirty seconds or so. But Fred wanted to achieve the vocal sound that Al had done on Thebes which is very, very distorted. But like Frankie Palmieri from Amur, it's actually most of it is in his voice and just the way he holds yeah. the microphone and the vocal temper. Yeah. Um, and so he ends up putting Fred through this thing where he goes, well, you know what I do, Fred, to achieve that sound? I take all my clothes off. And he made Fred jump through all of these ridiculous hoops till eventually the engineer <laughs> cottoned on to what Al was making Fred do. <laughs> That's <laughs> crazy. The yeah. script is in the book, but of course, the point is he couldn't achieve the same sound, even though he's using the same vocal effect, the distortion yep. box that Al uses to achieve the sound that he's so known for. It yep. does come down to your spirit, to your soul, to your vocal timbre, to the way your hands, you know, we all p- compress differently with our fingers. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I've, I've often thought that, but yeah, no, that's a, that's an awesome rundown. And you know what, what I like about that too is it's so well thought out. This isn't an accident. Yeah. And and I mean, also, and I think part of, and I have to say this, right. Mm. Part of uh, my guitar sound is my lack of knowledge of traditional guitar playing. So 
because I never sat down to actually learn the guitars and here are the notes and here's the scales and here's everything else. So I just picked up the guitar at the, you know, as it boils down to it, I just pick up the guitar and play what sounds good to my ears. Mm. Now, how that happens, it just kind of like happens and obviously practice over time. And then, and then coupling that with the fact that I love effects, right? But if you were to, you know, come to me and say, oh, here, you know, give me a solo in G minor, I'll be like, I've got no fucking idea how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry. That's okay. On the show. No, I swear <laughs> as much as you no. want. So okay. as much as you want. But it's, yeah, I'm kind of glad you say that too, because, and, and this is a really, this is a, a point that I like to labor over to an extent, which is that music is about feel. And mm. I, I've spoken to Al Dimiola, these sorts of guys, Don Felder from the Eagles. You know, Don Felder wrote Hotel California. I spoke to Al Anderson, who wrote the guitar line of No Woman, No Cry. These are guys that know how to do solos in G minor. But that's that's fine. That's the way that they achieve their sound yeah. and their output. The vast majority of people that I talk to, including myself, I mean, look, if you gave me half an hour, I could probably do it. But, yeah. And you using using apps and stuff and just figuring out patterns and shapes and stuff, but not natively. It's not in me, yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't need to be. And uh, I, yeah, it's 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 whatever suits you, mate. And there's no point being self conscious about these things because you can't change who you are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. You know? And to the point that <laughs> it's actually quite funny. Uh, you know, discussing this this very point with a with our base sneak of a of a you know different points in different times over the years, and I'm like, well, if I do actually go and learn properly how to play the guitar, would that actually limit my capability of doing what I'm doing now? Because hmm. then I would know more, <laughs> or would it open different horizons? I think it's probably the latter, but yeah. We can park that point because it's well, been a debate in my mind. Yeah, well, you, look, you're right because you're you, you know. And and the yeah. other thing is, I've got a lot of mates that love golf, and I do too. But they've told me that they've gone to lessons through these through these guys that are scratch golfers or what have you, because some of these guys are themselves, you know. They they achieve par every every round, um, but they've changed their style to the correct style and they've ended up going through a horrible period trying to relearn their old way because they think mm. their results suffered as a consequence you know and you know it's a it's just one of those points where it's like you know fuck it you got your own style and mine it i mean i know i do and it's a, like it's same thing with podcasts same thing with your entire life isn't it you know where's the rule book there isn't one exactly that's so true i agree with you 100 percent. yeah so, so the lyrical themes, though, because uh, Chris's press states that the the album is about anxiety, and God, aren't we all feeling it at the moment with these lockdowns? But I, I like how you go even deeper than that in the press, because, uh, and I'll quote it: "The world seems to be getting weirder and weirder, weirder every year, and we are becoming more and more in touch with everything that is happening on Earth as it happens." Mate, today the fall of a country, Afghanistan. And I was watching it on YouTube as it unfolded as Al Jazeera and stuff. And when I could, because I, I, I find that whole situation just horrific and horrendous that what's going to happen to just average fucking people. You yeah. Know, yeah. Different people to us, but they're average people. They're just people with kids who just own a shop or go to work and they've got kids and they want us, those kids to be safe and healthy and stuff. And let's face it, it probably isn't going to happen now that the Taliban are back over there. But mm. so to say the least, your statement that you've, you've, in the press of there, I agree with a hundred percent, you know, look, but from your guys' perspective, apart from writing a killer rock album, you know, what can we do? What can you do apart from, you know, what can we as civilization do? So I'll keep it to broadly, more mm -hmm. broader. What can civilization do to slow things down and be a touch less vicious toward each other, you know, particularly on social media? Cause I felt that was the point you might've been making. Yeah, and it's and it's an interesting one. So, first of all, I got to say that Rusty writes the lyrics. So our mm. singer writes the lyrics. Um, but from a complete messaging perspective, it is about. I believe it is about being consciously aware of what is happening first. So know and and know within myself. Like for example, the second single Technotron talks about technology addiction, right? Am I addicted to technology? Absolutely, I am. I'm looking at my phone all the time. Yeah. Whether it is about something with a with a band, or whether it is just social media, or whether it is work, or whether it is everything, especially in this environment of 
being in lockdown, my technology use is just like skyrocketed, right? Yeah. And of course, it's necessary for my work. It's necessary for being in touch with the band. It's necessary, right? However, there is sort of um, there is a black mirror side of it as well. So, and this nice. is and this is what we say it is about. It's a statement of what is happening. It is not that we are as a band against it. We are just making a statement of how we perceive it right now. But what I would say is kind of like, what could we all do is first know consciously that this division is happening and these things around us continuously fuel that division. So if you know it, you can, as opposed to being kind of like, subconsciously just part of it and you are one side of the camp or the other side of the camp yeah. right and then you're just fighting the other side it is it is more about being conscious about both sides and trying to understand those perspectives and where each person is coming from or each group or each party or whatever it may be and then you know forming your own mind and supposed to a certain degree personally i choose not to be too vocal on social media about matters of opinion because of yeah. just that fact the matters of opinion and my opinion may differ to your opinion about certain things but i don't need to fight you about it right we can both appreciate that we have a different opinion so yeah that's what's getting lost though mate isn't it these days and i'm i, I don't even think it's a generational thing sorry my camera will kick back in in a second does this every no, no worries hour, <laughs> but uh yeah, just this this lack of nuance in debate, this whole idea that you have to be all or nothing and you're on the right side of history and all of this sort of shit, mate. It's this slide into um, totalitarianism from an opinion perspective. Okay. Yes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This slide into it, it's like I, I'm 43. I I watched Tiananmen Square happening in 1988 or 89, whenever it happened. I saw the Berlin Wall fall in 91. I remember people coming to school. They'd gone to Germany with pits of the Berlin Wall and we were celebrating the fact that people were no longer living under these, these murderous regimes. Yet hmm. here we have people telling people all speeches, you know, free speeches, hate speech and all of this sort of shit at the moment. And if you differ from a narrative, you will get demonised. You can get called a racist or a homophobe or any one of these broader, broader epithets out there by simply not towing what is a conventional line at this point in time. And the way people seem to be so comfortable eviscerating people in the met metaphorical sense online, like the only answer is to switch the bloody stuff off. That seems to be the only way out of it. Like to go yeah. to use your point about the black mirror, to come out the other side of that, you can't completely disconnect. But I, I do feel that we are moving into a point where social media itself needs to come with a health warning. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true, right? Yeah. Because, I yeah, mean, because it always, well, I mean, the other thing is that it can come with a health warning and then and then every time they decide to change some algorithm, it can come with a different warning as well. Like, for example, mm -hmm. I, I remember I was watching this, uh, this documentary about, I think it was about the rebranding of Instagram, right? A few, a number of years ago. Yeah, and um, yeah. and uh, and there was a guy there, and he was the guy, one person that literally first came up, a software engineer, first came up with the idea and implementation, of course, with a team of developers of the endless scroll. You're talking about like think about that from a totalitarianism perspective. There's a bunch of people, they're engineers, developing software that have now determined how much time with the endless scroll I spend scrolling mm. times billions of people, right? How much time are they responsible for? But then, you know, what do you do? At the end of the day, technology is the thing that advances society in any shape or form, right? That's, that's the yeah, only great. actual thing yeah. that advances society. Like if you didn't have the wheel, you wouldn't have the car and then you wouldn't be able to transport yourself from here to there. And so mm. you had to walk. And so um, technology is the only thing that advances society. 
but now on the flip side is becoming the thing that kind of like starts to consume society at the same time but is it better off now than what it was 200 years ago i don't know i didn't live 200 years ago to tell you 100 percent right yeah because people people always i find they even in music actually this this is an interesting point even in music there is no purism I mean, what is purism in music? It's classical music, potentially, go and see that the show, no recorded medium, that's it. Even then, there's technology in the violin. Yeah, yeah. And someone says, oh, you know, music, oh, we lost touch because, I don't know, the synthesizer came about. I'm like, well, really? Like, what about the first distortion pedal that came out? Mm. You know, people were like, oh, this is not real guitar playing. Like, you should play clean or you should play just the classical guitar or whatever. So... There will always be resistance with technology evolution, I feel. Um, but technology at the end of the day is the only thing that advances humanity. Now it's going to have to be a case of how do we balance that so that it doesn't kind of like fully consume society at the same time. So I think we're just at that, I don't know, turning point, I presume. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think you've alluded to a broader point there too, which is another good one, which is that it's the rate of pace of change. So say we had the locomotive for 50 or 60 years and then yeah. the Mercedes invented the internal combustion engine, Ford popularised it, okay? We're literally just at a point now with the internal combustion engine where Audi or VW Group have said there will be no more. It'll be all electric vehicles from 2032 or whatever onwards. So we're just at the yeah. dawn of that age. But we've had 150 years or thereabouts to get to that point. The, the problem yeah. with social media and, and indeed these, wherever my phone is, the problem with this is, mate, we've had it since 2007. And I actually call that the Pope, the BCAD, the new version of it. Because I worked at Telstra when the, I remember selling that shit when it first came out. And I was like, the iPhone, I don't really see how that's going to be much use at the time. But we just didn't <laughs> know what apps, remember that? Like we were using Blackberries and Palm Trios know, and that sort right? of stuff. And like yeah, the best yeah, thing yeah. you did was that Blackberry messenger service with each other and emails. Mm. You got to attach yeah. things on email. Like to do that, I remember in two thousand and six was like, oh, iMate had the Jazz Jam, you know, which is the Dopod Jazz Jam, and and all this sort of stuff. And older listeners will know what I'm talking about, you know. But we, the problem with social media is that it's come about, and it's the rate of change that we are seeing. The impact of rate of the impact on society of the rate of change of this technology has has been honestly, I've got to say, I think it's been borderline disastrous. Because yeah, you've got yeah. you've got these. I mean, I know with my kids, mate, I struggle to get them off the iPad if they've got nothing better to do. Oh no, um, no, right. they you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, they, they, like my daughter's literally hitting me at the moment if I don't give it to her. Sometimes, you know, and I'm like, well, look, we're going to suffer through this because I'm not letting you have it on. You know, you're going to draw and play and go outside on the swings and stuff, and I'll go out there with yeah. you. But I mean, at a certain point, especially with me working from home. I've got to let them just sort of be, but inevitably they sort of crawl back to the iPad or the iPhone or iPad one. Nintendo is even better, you know, just play yeah. Nintendo. I'll say that now, play the Switch rather than use the bloody <laughs> iPad. You know, it's like a lesser of two evils. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the next one, the next one is going to come about really, well, I'm not sure how quickly, I, to be honest, but fairly quickly, I reckon, is virtual reality stuff, right? And then, yeah. and then we are in a real Black Mirror situation. So... Because I, you know, I was, I, I, with my partner just before the COVID situation unfolded in, um, well, March last year, from a global scale perspective, um, we actually went for a, for a trip to Iceland in February nice. of 2020, mm -hmm. and it was an amazing trip, like once in a lifetime kind of trip, right? Now, after you know, and we got back literally two weeks before lockdown two to three weeks before lockdown first started or working from home first started in, in Australia. Um, and, uh, and now I've got the photos, right, from that trip. And I love those photos. And I love those little videos and memories and whatever is in my head. And I went through that experience in real life, right? Now, if I could relieve those moments in a virtual reality kind of world, I would. Right, I personally would, but then yeah. if I do, and then my next trip, for example, we're talking about oh, when, 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 when shit is okay again, you know, we'll go to Norway, we'll go to like Patagonia, something like that, because you know, something adventurous, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and I'm like, well, yeah, but if if we never get the opportunity to do that, and I've got a virtual reality option for it, 
would I take it up? What would it be like? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I, I could, know exactly. You know, what you're it's saying. like it's like yeah. all these kind of like questions in your mind that then you think to yourself, well, if I can partly experience it, experience it virtually, <clears throat> or if I can, I don't know, flick through Instagram, but it's not really flicking through a two D image, I can actually enter it. Yeah. Right. Maybe I will just be plugged into the matrix forever. I don't know. <laughs> but that's, that's where Elon Musk is headed. He's talking about neural networks that way. You know, Elon Musk <clears throat> is talking about doing that. And eventually, yeah, yeah. like, but it, it, it sort of touches on that broader, which, which a lot of the Greek philosophers were the masters at trying to get their head around. Plato, hmm. Socrates, you know, what is the soul? You know, so they didn't pose it that way, but they're trying to understand, okay, what are, are we to, are we a flesh vehicle that's inhabited or are we a soul in, that's inhabiting a flesh vehicle? Is that as simple yeah. as, as the explanation needs to be? Because there's going to be some questions that I don't, I think we're going to get, it's going to make things far more complicated if we do, to your point, enter into the matrix, because then we talk about like, this is a complete batshit, you know, off to the fringes, but people <laughs> being able to commit murder in, 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 in AI, because that's all pedophiles and all this sort of shit. It's like, do, do we just allow it or what? Because it's not real life. You know, then we yeah. have to engage in a completely different set of rules because the moral compass has shifted because the outcomes aren't for real. But are they for real? Because it talks mm -hmm. about, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, if you think about murdering a man, I'm paraphrasing here, of course, because I don't know the yeah, Bible yeah. that well yeah. off by heart. But yeah. if you think about murdering a man, you've actually murdered a man, this sort of stuff. What's the difference? And I'm Well, not, you know, yeah. 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 No, you, yeah. Go. you finished, sorry. No, that was it. It was just, I'm just yeah. saying, it, it, we're sort of on the precipice of like, you're seeing how people on social media can be so mean to each other when they're using pseudonyms and burden, burner accounts. Imagine then if that's in AI where it actually psychologically feels real and but yeah, they know yeah. they can get away with stuff. Well, even, even if you take into perspective that, you know, bullying in general, yeah, high school bullying or school bullying in general, right? Mm. So, you know, I experienced bullying throughout school, just like most kids at some point in time will, right? Mm -hmm. It was, it was like, you know, the worst of it was, for example, you know, if I go back to my time, the worst of it was grade six, right? And, and, you know, I was in Greece. It was confined in that time frame of my life, in that physical space, being me being a kid in Greece growing up and being in grade mm -hmm. six, I went through it. I overcame the problems that came with it or the self-doubt and, you know, all of it. I overcame that. And I came out to the other side and now I'm a human being and I'm here in Australia, right? Bullying, though, on a digital world never gets fucking deleted. Yeah. It's always going to be there. Yeah. Right. So I find that actually worse than being bullied in real life, because what comes with it, the, the long term effects of it are technically and potentially always there. Mm. Right. So it's almost like your digital signature is more real than your real signature in real life. Because because. You know, your timeline is kind of always going to be there. And you're sure you can delete your account and all the rest of it. But traces of it are always going to be there. And if you have mm -hmm. someone expressing a really negative opinion about you or whatever it may be you do or, you know, in whatever setting, that's kind of like always going to be there. And I find that even from a perspective of uh, people in the public eye, whatever they may be, um, it's not. It's not an easy thing, right? Yeah, I've, I've made. I've, you go, sorry. Yeah, no. It's just yeah, and and I think it's the the uh, the effects of that in kids growing up, and the effects of that in the general population of everyone um, yeah. online is that those um, scars I reckon are going to be more felt uh, when they are in a digital world and then impact people in the, I would call it the real world, um, mm. than, uh, than if you just had a period of time that things were shit and you went through it and you are a different space, different time, and it's gone. Digitally, it's kind of like all morphs into the one weird arena, right? So, 
Yeah, all great points again, brother. I mean, Jesus, you know, there was a situation up here a couple of years ago where a young lady who was the face of a Cobra when she was a child called Dolly, she killed herself. Mm. And she was at a boarding school out, out at Warwick. And um, I, the media, of course, have to be very sensitive about some of the reasons why. But that I understand. And I could be wrong here. I'm only going by what I've read. But bullying that started happening in the classroom and then spilled over to stuff that was happening online. Mm. Okay. And yeah. I read I read today in – it was a News Limited publication. Or no, it was Sydney Morning Herald. I was, being a journal, I subscribed to all of the papers, so I just read with them all in the morning, you know, go through the headlines and just see what's there. But I don't know whether they were right in saying it was an epidemic, but there was something like eight young ladies that have killed themselves this year. And I think the point was – of course, where else would it be? But because of harassment on social media and online, yeah. Because yeah. because I know even even my own kids, we've turned off the feature on Minecraft and the other games, Roadblocks, where you know the social feature, so they right. can't actually yeah. interact with anybody. I mean, it's not about pedophiles and stuff, even though they're probably on there too. But it's just about the fact that we don't know which bloody kids they're talking to and what attachments they'll develop. You know, yes, yeah. it's, the kids that we see them hanging around at school and the kids have had their issues with some of the other kids at school. But I've looked at that as not bullying. That's just them sorting things out when they get to like to, to your point there, year six and the like, when these fucking awful kids realize they can inflict serious damage and get away with it because they're the little Lord Fauntleroy of their household or the mm. Madeline of their household. You know, they're the gifted wonder wonder of their household and they're used to getting away with shit. So I went through, I went through a boarding school in Sydney. Boarding yeah. was so bad at the school that I went to. I've got to be frank, mate. I didn't even notice it. I promise right. you that as a bullying and like the caste system in a boarding house not so yeah. much in the boarding house in the broader year. This year. If you were a rugby player, you're up the top. If you were a rower, you're up the top, this sort of stuff. You, you, it was a, a, like a totem of virtue, you know, and mm. if you didn't have a place on that, you were basically an outcast and you just didn't even bother trying to become part of things, you know. Yeah. And, the, yeah. and, there were, and the, the other thing too about like this, and this is not just about me, by the way, I'm just saying that the other thing too that I was aware of completely and it didn't happen to me, but it happened to kids around me, they were sexually assaulted by other boys. And those yeah. boys who sexually assaulted the boys got away with it. It, it came out. It's and horrible. because it was 1990, yeah. 1991, back when people were, they should have known better, but these people were just like, oh, well, you know, whatever. It's like they should be expelled, you know. Mm. And, and I think that's, and I noticed that, who was it, the Greens maybe? Who was it? No, I don't, I don't think the Greens are that, that benevolent, unfortunate that they bloody should be. But they're trying to. Somebody, oh, Erin Molan, the, I don't know, being in Melbourne, you probably don't know who Erin Molan is. She's an NRL reporter. So mm. she's being constantly harassed by bullies. And well, part of me says, look, I'm not saying just because you're an adult, turn it off, but maybe because you're an adult, turn it off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. But she talked about the impact that it had on her and she wanted there to be, you can't just walk up to somebody and call them all sorts of names and, and abuse them to the point where they're in tears in real life because it's actually called assault. Why isn't that the same online? And that's and, a really that's a really good point. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a really this, good point. But this mate is where Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, so YouTube, Google, and Instagram being the same. No, Facebook and Instagram being the same company. Google mm. and YouTube being the same company, and then Twitter. So those three main companies, they should be classified as utilities, okay? Mm. And they should be responsible for the content that is published on them they had to be otherwise they're just it's just how do you stop it well it's a it's a it's going to be a very long topic that one because yeah. um you know because if you because if you think about it if they depending on what level of i suppose you know there's the community guidelines and everything right but depending on what level of control they exert in what people can and cannot say Technically, they are in control of all communication. So it's a very fine line, right? Because then mm. they can very easily turn totalitarianism, or I can't say the word properly. They can very easily turn towards that way, right? Yeah. Because, again, because as you say, it's three of them. Or, you know, and then you have the Amazon of the world and you got Apple and you got all these like this, this massive, massive companies that control so much mm. right and then and then if they um if they turn around and block certain things from happening 
then what else can they block after that? They can yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, and I mean, I see it, you know, simply put, right? I see it from even, you know, a musician's perspective. You try to put up something that relates to you trying to sell a record, and then uh, in order to reach a larger audience, you got to pay money for that, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, you're not wrong. And I, I've tried to give. I've tried to get out of giving Facebook my money. Believe me, because I think yeah. honestly, I think we large corporations in general act in a psychopathic way because they're just about increasing revenue and profits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that's it. That's the sole aim of it. Like the, their sole aim is to stay in business and keep growing the margins for the shareholder. That's yeah. it. Like people can argue with me as much as they want, but they're not going to do anything unless it increases their bottom line. Like, yeah. You know, it just doesn't happen. This is why when they've got all these green policies and these, you know, pro-gay marriage policies, it's like you don't give a shit. <laughs> you just you're just putting that out there to virtue signal, and and it's it's ridiculous. It's at some point though, mate. I, I don't know. It's it's the lesser side. It's the downside, I suppose, of capitalism. Capitalism is still the only system that works, though. I mean, it does come down to, and here's the, I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll get back to asking some questions about the music in the sec, but I need to make this final <laughs> point which is that it just comes down to people exercising their common sense. Okay. Yeah. And if you recognize that I agree too, mate, we've all got an addiction to a lesser or greater extent with, with technology, but step away from the fucking thing, go swimming with your dog, you know, uh, go and ice cream with the phone on you. Um, just something, go on something like as a breaker, otherwise you just suck into, and you made a point so eloquently before the matrix. Yeah. Yeah. I actually went back to watch The Matrix again for the, I don't know, the 10th <laughs> time, but then for the first time in many, many years, uh, it's always a good movie. Huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a classic film. It's filmed in Sydney too, I think, wasn't it, from memory? Uh, I don't know a lot of the um, the second one was. I don't know. Anyway, no, yeah. Um, yeah. Hugo Weaving plays a killer character in that. I like his character in that. Absolutely, yeah. You know, But um, you mentioned, let's just talk about the music, you mentioned Danzig up top, and I saw that because I love Danzig, but early Danzig, not, you know, weird Danzig. Um, I love that the press states that Danzig are an inspiration or, they're, or thereabouts. So is it is it that they're an inspiration or is it just that you think his vocal gets compared to that and you've been sort of had that, that comparison thrust upon you? It's the latter. <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, I mean... I like Danzig. I can't say that Danzig is a personal influence of mine. Neither can the singer. And it is predominantly because of uh, Rusty's voice that we get uh, we get the comparison and then it kind of like fits a particular mold of, I suppose, listenership. But mm. if we are to really boil it down to influences, not an influence. <laughs> That's the honest That's truth. Enough. Yeah. That's fair enough. I just love their first their first three albums and uh, the uh, Demon Trail Sweat Live EP in 92 or whatever it was with the live version of Sistina's and Mother. Man, that's mm. – I, I still occasionally oh, – I mean, yeah, those are, those are great songs. So, so you know, from a, yeah. from a song perspective, it's almost like – it's almost like saying – what I mentioned about Queens of the Stone Age, right, they are an influence from a song – structure and songwriting perspective and the greatness of the songs that they have. But if I was to really talk about, am I um, personally influenced or inspired by to become, you know, because I always had this thing in my mind as a kid, right? And it always is to this day. Your main role models or influences are like, who do you wish you could have been or who do you wish you could become? like yeah. right so and, and that kind of becomes your role model because you're like oh you know you look up to that person that figure or whatever it may be so um you know you know just homie is great but i can't say that from a personal perspective he is my role model guitarist right but that's why i, I said kind of like you know jack white tony Iommi, and tom morello and the flip side so i think from a danzig perspective as well great songs but if we were to boil it down to Let's you know, let's get influenced by Danzig and let's uh, write a song like Mother. That's not a conscious decision. If it, it turns out that way and it works, it works, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah, uh, good at a great attitude, man. Yeah, and look, just with these bloody lockdowns again, you know, in terms of is this all you can do is just have conversations with podcasters and magazines, online magazines? 
So there's obviously no gigs that you, no. I mean, I know you might have them booked, but I mean, you just can't bank on the fact that they're going to happen. So are you, are you no, planning on yeah. outside of the interviews? Are you planning on doing any of those streaming events or anything like that? Uh, no streaming event planned right now. No, we'd, uh, kind of, I don't know, prefer doing the live real thing. Although streaming, yeah. although streaming may become the, uh, I suppose the necessity, um, but right now it is, you know, either video interviews, voice interviews, um, written interviews. So from a communication perspective with the outside world, it is that and, uh, and the social media. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, the music that we put out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got a strong merch game. I love what you're doing with Napalm here because, uh, you know, you got the T-shirts and the long sleeves and you got the vinyl and the CDs. So is that something that, like, how does, I've always wanted to ask somebody this and I've never thought to go there 650 interviews later or whatever but how, how does it work for, for you guys then do you did someone from napalm go this is what we think you guys should do or do you go actually we think we want to do this or how does it work um no no in this instance actually so what we discussed i mean after we we we, we signed a record deal with napalm they they do their stuff as in as in meaning that they uh they're gonna do their exclusive edition of the vinyl, there's two of those, colored vinyl, then they do the distribution copies as well, the black vinyl. And uh, and then they always kind of like come to the band and ask if we want some, right? So the, the way that it is, is that we decide on a color, we decide on a number of quantities and we pay for that wholesale to the label. Uh, yeah. So um, in the end, it just, it just becomes a game of, uh, of retail versus <laughs> versus wholesale, right? Um, and we bring a certain number of those copies here in Australia to have like gigs and to be able to sell on Bandcamp. But from a merch perspective, they're doing the cover T-shirt. So the so Napalm is printing the the cover art, the front cover yeah. art over there. And uh, and as long as we're not competing with each other, as long as there is a different kind of item that we offer here in Australia, which was that uh, different design, which actually comes from the song Mr. Hyde, the ninth song in the album. Um, then, uh, then, then we can go for it and print our own and sell our own. Right. But from a record perspective, it's very strict. So they have to print the record and we have to buy from them because we're signed to them. So it's like a franchise agreement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? Pretty much. <laughs> well, well, it's, it's almost like, it. it's, yeah. it's almost like the band in this instance, um, is the is the retailer and, and what other labels do um like for example previously um we were with cosmic artifacts is they would have uh, a certain number of copies from a run that they give for free and that kind of becomes sort of your license right yeah. so you say you know x amount of copies out of a run of x amount whatever the equivalent ends up being um is for free to the band and then beyond that point you but you can you can buy wholesale from the label as well so then you kind of have this pool of copies that you can sort of make back some of your money from uh, <laughs> from recording and so on yep. but uh napalm being a bigger label they work differently and they say right so we'll give you an advance to record the album or you know, portion thereof whatever each agreement ends up being. And then, but then when it comes to, uh, you know, we'll give you the artist copies as in for the band, that's, that's for free. But then the rest of it is, uh, is a wholesale retail kind of agreement. Wow. I had no idea. There you go. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I was waiting for someone to break it down like that, but I guess that makes sense from, from, well, from their perspective. Okay. They're a business and they're trying to make money and no matter which band they're dealing with, they're trying to make as much money as they possibly can. But what, oh, absolutely. what about the, but what, what about the promotion then? Is that does that fall under them, or have you guys got to do that? Uh, no, that falls under them. Yeah. So they're so, going to take out the ads on Instagram and Facebook to promote the album. Uh, is that yes, but I mean, of course, if I want to put money of my own to do the same as well, then I uh, I can do that, and I and I do do that. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, yeah, because I mean, they, they they will do what they feel is the right thing for the level of band that we are. And what I was told to begin with, and this again makes, you know, cause full-time, my full-time job, I'm a business guy, right? So this makes total business sense. They said to me, you know, we don't go investing like hundreds of thousands of dollars in this, in a new band, because if we did that for every band, 
we wouldn't be in business. They sort yeah. of like go step by step and they gauge what the market response is, right? So it's almost like, um, uh, you know, capping the investment to a degree so that then they don't lose too much money from all these artists they're trying to promote, right? Because yeah. you don't know which one is going to be the, the success in order for them to make uh, the millions of dollars or whatever as a label, right? So they have to gauge it and, and, and it's totally fair enough, right? At the end of the day, um, they have to make money too, as you said. Just as long as, like, you constantly hear about, I was speaking to, uh, was I speaking to Kurt from Metal Church? Anyway, I can't remember who it was now, but like the hit albums from the 80s or even the 90s, I don't know. I can't remember if it was Metal Church or not, so I won't use them as the example. I was speaking yeah. to a band who told me they only started making money recently from record sales or album sales, whatever you want to call it, because the deals that they signed back in the day were so bad, bad they were completely weighted toward the label. So yeah. if, if this does break out and one of your tracks ends up being used as the lead cut to the new Dexter series, this sort of you know but things happen like that this is what happens absolutely but it, happens, yeah, yeah. it happens in 15 years time so like what Quentin yeah. Tarantino does where he goes and finds all this old stuff some Australian stuff as well and he's like I want that in my movie and of course then it ends up selling a truckload because it's in a Tarantino film you know yeah I, I just hope you, you get that opportunity to renegotiate but I know they're probably not going to be that benevolent are they um it really depends I mean there is a I'm not going to mention the exact agreement, but the, there is a time part to the agreement. Oh, okay, um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, it, it's not an insignificant amount of time, let me tell you that much. Um, yeah. Yeah, sorry, but, my uh, battery's gone. Oh, no, that's, back up. There we go. <laughs> that's okay. Um, but uh, honestly, there's two ways of going on about doing things, right? One is a totally independent way, which 100% is what we were. And we were signed to, you know, Cosmic Artifacts purely from a physical perspective. But we kept all our digital rights prior to this point and And we still do. We still have all the rights to our back catalog, right? So there is, uh, there is no napalm involvement or label involvement there. But uh, at some point in time, you've got to make a decision and say, if you've got an opportunity, do you take it and see where it takes you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Or do you just continue on as you were and then and then you know kind of what to expect as an outcome right um honestly it's been a lot of work this album especially the time frame of releasing it so because we only recorded it in between lockdowns in like late february this year finishing the mixes and the masters and the artwork and and getting the thing ready for pressing actually releasing it now in august yeah is uh it was a pretty crazy feat and um, and having to deal with a variety of new people and more people and and coordination of all the different aspects of it, um, it was a lot of work. So it, a lot of work on top of, you know, full-time work, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, um, so it doesn't, it doesn't come like, Oh, you know, now I'm signed with a label and, and uh, and and oh, all is sweet, and the next thing is just uh, this great level of success that's just going to miraculously come to me. That's that's a complete bullshit myth. You got to work for it, and and whatever good thing comes comes from both sides, both because the uh, the label works for it and the band works for it. If uh, if if uh, I think I think if you just have the philosophy that oh you know she'll be right. She won't be right. <laughs> yeah, it's not right. Yeah. Well, nothing. You won't so, sell anything. You won't reach an audience that might be be impressed with what you guys are doing. That's for sure. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough game, mate. But I mean, we're musicians. It is. It's what we do. Yeah. yeah. What else are we going to do? Except if we, I mean, these these underground, these gnarly. They're not even gnarly. Sorry, they're shit. Some of these underground black metal bands and stuff like the attitude. They don't want anybody to find them. It's like, but then they're still on Instagram or what have you. It's like, what are you doing? Never, never quite understood that. You know, it's like mm. when I was a kid growing up, I was a big death and still am, but big black and death metal fan when I was a kid, especially like back when you had to really work and find the music. You had to get it in yeah. from, from uh, you had to order it in, or there was like two record stores in the country, three record stores in the country that had stocked the early Immortal albums or what have you. Um, mm. 
but I quickly learned that the bands that I could read about in the magazines were the bands that were worth following because I bought a bunch of shit underground stuff that just was crap. It just, mm. it just the truth is it copies the bigger stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, they're not, they're not like some undiscovered gem. You're like, wow, nobody knows this exists. And it sounds like master of puppets. No, that doesn't happen. If it sounds yeah. like master of puppets, it probably is master of puppets. Or if it's, <laughs> if it's toxic waltz by Exodus or something uh. like that, then all those bands get big because they produce great quality songs that is well produced and can connect with an audience. And you look, I'll round up with my final point by saying you're definitely doing that. I just, I hope it happens for you given the hard work that you've put in, put into it. But, Thank you. Um, you know, you come out the other side of this. I'd love to see you guys up here in Queensland playing. Oh, absolutely. We actually do have a show booked in Queensland. So. Oh, really? When? Hopefully it happens. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure it's actually the first weekend of October. And what I was saying before in regards to um, the run of um, shows that we had, I mean, we were meant to play last Saturday. My Saturday just passed. We were meant to be in Sydney, right? Obviously, I wasn't yeah. going to happen. Um, actually, people have been messaging even right now. There is hell on the bay that we're supposed to be playing September 4th here in Melbourne. Uh, and the yeah. current lockdown ends three days before it. So... Anyway, there will be a decision made for that very soon. So that is probably the next show that will get um, either played or rescheduled. Um, but um, and that's where we're kind of tossing now whether to uh, whether to just go for an October start. And if we do go for an October start, then uh, then Queensland is the first one. Okay, we're we playing on the Goldie or in Brisbane. Both. So Moe's Desert Clubhouse or Vinny's Dive and then Mansfield. So it'd be, it'd be Vinny's and uh, it'd be Lefty's. Okay, I'll go to the Vinny show. Yeah, because that's near. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm halfway. I'm in the cane field, so I can sort of yeah, go yeah. either way and it's just sort of 45 minutes to everywhere. But Vinny's, I've never been to Vinny's, can you believe it? Just with the lockdowns and stuff. I mean, yeah, 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 you yeah. yeah. And young kids too. The other thing is young kids. I tend to... I had this rule where if I could meet the band, I'd try to get to the show. You know what I mean? And um, so yeah. the last show I've been to was Corrosion of Conformity. And that was, oh, that was wow. a good show to finish on. That was, yeah. was that was that March or Feb last year? Uh, February 2020, yeah. Yeah, February, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember that. I remember that run, actually. Yeah. Yeah, wow, I, feels... I met the guys backstage. I actually met them, oh, like, awesome. literally, the tour manager contacted me and said, um, hey, the guys are ready now. And I'm like, they just got off, but you don't question these things, but I'm thinking they've just gotten off stage. And I walk in there and, and Pepper and the guys are just toweling down. And I'm like, fuck, I'm so sorry. <laughs> They're like, no, <laughs> shut up, man, come on in. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I'll just sit in the corner. And no, they were, they were very cool, man. All of these these big American and British bands that I've met are very cool, man, when they tour. Yeah. You know, when you're playing Crowbar, not Crowbar doesn't exist anymore, I don't think, in Queensland. But uh, when you're playing towards... Oh, they've, uh, they've transferred to... What is that other venue? The bright side, bright side. Yeah, bright side. Didn't is they? Going, yeah. yeah, weren't they meant to take over bright side from a management I'm, perspective or something like that? You're right. They were there because yeah. I, I saw it. God knows how many gigs I saw at the old bright side of Brunswick Street, and then sorry at the old Crowbar of Brunswick Street. But then they yeah, took yeah, over yeah. the venue that bright side were in. Um, I thought it lost a bit of the vibe, though. To be honest with you, there's something about mm. walking downstairs into a dungeon. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You feel like you're in a fire trap. We've played there before. Time. It's fantastic, <laughs> actually. Yeah, great sound. Yeah, killer yeah. sound. And then you got the the backstage area upstairs. It looks like a living yes. room, an old one out living room, you know. And yeah. like, yeah, it was a good vibe. Just Brightside's a bit bigger, or you know, the venue that was Brightside is a bit bigger. Um, I saw a heap of bands there too, like Rings of Satin and Corrosion of Conformity, and I don't know, I don't know how many other bands I saw there, but lots. Yeah. Um, but it's a big, it's a bigger venue, and Crowbar did have the up and downstairs. But anyway, I don't know. I was seriously, I got, to, I don't know whether I've shared this on the podcast before, but let's do it. I was thinking about opening up a venue in Mount Gravatt, which is on the south side. Um, but it's just, it's a couple of hundred grand to sort of guarantee everything. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot, mate. It's, a, it's far more money than what you think in terms of the licensing and then staff costs and stuff. You yeah. want to keep it I going for the eight weeks. Absolutely, and 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 that's the thing. Right now, it's really difficult time to do that, right? But uh, in in my mind, anything anything you want to start, if you want to open up a coffee shop, that's two hundred thousand dollars. Kind of like, I think a couple of hundred grand is uh, for any of those kind of businesses is probably a necessary 
well, well, a good enough estimate before you go into it, just so you have a ballpark figure in your mind um, of what it would actually cost. I mean, I, uh, I haven't taken that step or thought process for myself yeah. at all. Um, I never actually worked in hospitality personally. So no, whereas the rest of yeah. the, uh, yeah, I think the rest of the, yeah, well, definitely the bassist and the singer have worked for years in hospitality. Um, but um, I'm not sure about the drummer, actually, if he ever did in his younger years. But um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an industry that's so, 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 so heavily impacted right now. It's really sad. It's really sad to yeah. see. I've got a lot of friends that are either in the music industry, you know, soundies or photographers or people at venues, venues themselves, owners of venues. It's just, it's horrendous, right? And then as a as the flow and impact, you get all the artists as well who can't actually uh, have to rely on everything online. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're not yeah. wrong, mate. But look, you can only do you put your best foot forward. You guys have certainly done that. So look, you know, congratulations on a, on a killer. Well, I've heard the three songs, as I said, but I know the album is going to be a killer album. So I'm going to congratulate you on the album all the same. And thank you I just very hope much. We can, we can have a ga- we can catch up and have a beverage when you get up here, mate. Absolutely, I'll be looking forward to it. So that was a good one. That was a chat with Christos from the Melbourne-based group, The Ugly Kings. Just a reminder, they have a new album out. Right now, it's called Strange, Strange Times, because indeed, it is. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of this little podcast venture that's called Scars and Guitars. If you could like, subscribe, share, and do all of that shit, I'd appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, I hope you have a good one.